Good morning, Faith Baptist Church. How are you guys doing this morning? I remember at five years old, uh, sitting in an old church, sitting in an old wooden pew, and listening to a preacher talk about baptism. And, and I remember sitting there thinking, specifically thinking to myself, I need to be baptized. A few weeks earlier, I had gone to a uh, old tent revival in North Carolina, and a, a pastor there was preaching about heaven and hell. Uh, it was a fire and brimstone message. Some of you remember those. And I just remember sitting there in that church, listening to the pastor talking about heaven and hell. And I was like, that's me. Uh, at five years old, I was like, I, I pretty much know that I don't want to go to hell and I want to go to heaven. Uh, and I told my dad, you know, I, I, I wanted to go down and be saved. And, and he talked to me about who Jesus was. He talked to me about the fact that he died on the cross for my sins. Uh, he, talked, he talked to me about the fact that me stealing cookies every day is not a good idea, uh, that those are sins. Those are things that I had done wrong uh, against God and that I needed Jesus Christ and his blood to cover those sins. And we walked down this aisle uh, of the church and we knelt down at an altar and we prayed a prayer together. And when I was five years old, I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And uh, my life changed forever. So as I was sitting in, in this old church, Peace Baptist Church in Wilson, North Carolina, listening to his pastor talk about baptism, I started talking on my dad's shirt and I said, Dad, I need to be baptized. That's me. Because see, his pastor was talking about baptism. He says, in order for us to be obedient to Jesus, in order for us to be obedient to what Jesus tells us in the scripture, we have to be baptized. And so for me, as I was sitting there at five years old, I'm like, yeah, I want to be obedient to Jesus. I, I, I don't want to disobey Jesus. I, I just got saved a few weeks ago. He's my savior. He died on the cross for my sins. Absolutely, I will do what he tells me to do. So I tugged on my dad's shirt and said, dad, that's me. I need to be baptized. So we went and we talked to the pastor. And then two weeks later, um, in that old church, as a lot of them were, you had the choir loft right back here. And then you had the baptistry that was way high in the sky. I remember walking up the steps to the baptistry and looking down at all the people. And I waved with a cheesy grin on my face. I'm sure if you see my son, the exact same grin that he gives. And I had a sweet flat top. I was rocking it. I put the wax on that day because I, I was going to be in front of everybody. My mom made me. Um, and I was up there. I was ready to be baptized. And I remember the pastor, he said, put your hands up. And so I put my hands up like this across my chest. And he said, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. And for me, from that moment on, it was now my time to live that new life. You see, this morning, as we talk about baptism, as we have this special day talking about the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the questions we want to answer this morning as we look at baptism, number one, what is baptism? You know, there's a lot of different teachings out there. There's probably a lot of different thoughts in this room of what baptism is. So we want to answer what is baptism. And then secondly, we want to answer why should we get baptized? So let's tackle the first question this morning. What is baptism? Uh, a simple definition of baptism this morning looks like this. Baptism is an outward expression of our faith in Jesus as Savior. 
Baptism is an outward expression. When we, when we have people go into the baptistry and when we have people in front of, front of you in the baptistry in the back there, these are people that are saying, hey, I've already placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed. These, these are people that step into the waters and they say, I have given my life to Jesus Christ and now I'm ready for that new life. I'm ready to walk with him. I'm ready to live for him. We see this depicted in scripture in Romans chapter six, verses three through five. If you have the app on right now, it should be there for you. If not, turn your Bibles there. Romans chapter six, verses three through five. It gives us a very clear definition of what baptism is. It, it, tells, us, it tells us what it is for us as believers. In verse number three, it says this, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection." So this morning, as we look at this idea of what baptism is, Romans chapter six, verses three through five, Paul writing these words that God gave to him explains to us exactly what baptism means for us. When we look at this word baptism and we go back to the original language and we look at this, this Greek word, uh, there's two different words that are used. It's baptismo or baptizo. And these words literally mean to immerse or go under because they're, a, they're a, a, a picture of Christ and his burial. And then when he came up out of the waters, when we come out, up out of the waters, it's a picture of his resurrection. See, the book of Romans teaches us that baptism is a symbolic representation of Christ's own death and resurrection. It represents the death of our Savior. It represents the death of our Savior. And for us, it represents the death of our old self, our sinful nature. And then the rebirth that happens when we trust in Christ as Savior. And then something for us to look forward to, the promise of our own resurrection. The promise of when Jesus Christ comes to this earth and he takes us to live with him forever. Amen? Because baptism always follows belief in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's why we call it believer's baptism. So this morning, if you're thinking about baptism, uh, just write this quote down. We must believe before we are baptized. We must believe before we are baptized. This is why we do not baptize infants. This is why we don't go into infant baptism because an infant has not trusted in Jesus Christ as their savior. And we believe through scripture and what we're taught in scripture that baptism happens after our belief in Jesus Christ. We do not believe that baptism is a part or has any part in our salvation. We believe that baptism has no part in our justification to God. Our justification to God happens only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We believe this because scripture tells us. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter two and verse eight. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
You see, if salvation was up to me and I could work my way to it and I could, I could say, hey, I want to be baptized and that helps in my salvation and I could do good works, I could help old ladies across the street, I could give enough money to the church. See, that's up to me. Salvation has nothing to do with me or you. Salvation is because Jesus Christ humbled himself. He walked that road to Golgotha. He, he placed himself on the cross and he gave up his spirit to the Father. He was buried and three days later he was resurrected. That's where our, our salvation comes from. It's by faith and that alone. See, in Christ alone do we find salvation from our guilt and shame. So that is what, that is what baptism looks like for us. We believe that baptism is a symbol of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That is why when we're baptizing, we say those words. We say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in new life. Understand something, that this new life that we're talking about, it's absolutely talking about our future eternal resting place in heaven. But it is also talking about our new life that we have here on earth. See, salvation in Jesus Christ is not simply just about us having fire insurance. It's about us living the life that God wants us to live here on this earth. In baptism, as we are buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk a new life, it's the new life that we have here right now. It's to live that life that God wants us to live. See, that's what baptism is. So secondly, our second question this morning is why should we get baptized? Why should we get baptized? There may be some in this room that you've never heard this. Uh, you haven't been baptized. So why should we get baptized this morning? Why should, why should we look at getting baptized if you haven't? The first reason that we should get baptized after salvation is to be obedient to the word of God. Amen. We have to be obedient to God. We have to be obedient to Jesus. Number one, we must follow our Christ. We must follow what Jesus did. Look at, um, turn to Matthew chapter three. We're gonna get there in a minute. We see, in, we see Jesus in Matthew chapter three. He's about to begin his earthly ministry. He's about to begin uh, the miracles. He's about to begin all the things that we read in the gospels. But before Jesus begins his earthly ministry, before Jesus uh, is murdered on a Roman cross, before he takes his first step in the, in the ministry, before he's being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, before he does the miracles, before he predicts his death and resurrection, before he, he claims to be God, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he gets baptized in the Jordan, in the Jordan River by a man named John the Baptist. Matthew chapter three, beginning in verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need, be, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. Isn't that an appropriate response? If Jesus walked in this morning and said, hey, Josh, can you baptize me? I'd be like, whoa, let's pump the brakes here, Jesus. <laughs> how, about, how about we switch that? I love the response by John. John is, John is saying, hey, this is Jesus. He's I'm not even worthy to be here right now. I'm not even worthy to baptize you. An appropriate response to Jesus Christ. But Jesus answered him and said, hey, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. 
Verse 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ comes to John the Baptist and he says, hey, I need to be baptized. We see that he's baptized in the Jordan. He comes up out of the water. We see the Trinity is there. And God speaking said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter three, verses 13 through 17, we have to understand that we should follow what Jesus did. That we should follow what Jesus did in order to be obedient to the word of God. And in order to be obedient in our walk with Jesus Christ, we have to follow our Christ. We have to follow our savior. We have to do what he did. And then secondly, we have to follow his command. Not only do we follow our Christ, we have to follow his command. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, has become known as the Great Commission. It's when Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples. He's about to send, uh, ascend back into heaven. He's about to go back and be with his father and he gives them a final command and he tells them this, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have to follow his command. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. The first step in this command is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The second command that he gave in here was to baptize. You see, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus if you do not know him. You can't be a disciple of Jesus if you do not know him. Why would you want to get baptized saying, I'm a part of team Jesus. I'm on his team. I, I put my faith and trust in him if you don't know him yet. The first step is faith in Jesus Christ. The second step in this command is baptism. See, in order to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus, we have to be obedient to his command of baptism. Not in order to get into heaven. I'm not saying baptism is a part of our salvation, but it is a part of our obedience. See, Jesus Christ said, go and make disciples tell others about Jesus Christ and encourage them in their walk. Secondly, is baptism. Jesus Christ gave us this command to be baptized. And in order for us to be obedient to him, in order for us to be obedient to the word of God, we must take that step. We must take that step of baptism. See, that is not the last step. After baptism, we should grow in our knowledge and faith in Jesus, just like it tells us in verse 20. He said, hey, go tell them about Jesus Christ. Make sure they're baptized because that's obedience. And then the third thing he says, teaching them to observe all things, then help them grow in their walk with Jesus Christ. This morning, we're gonna take a few minutes and we're going to celebrate in the fact that we have some that have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, amen? We have, we have three people this morning that, say, that, that are going to say, you know what? I, I want to be obedient to the word of God. I want to be obedient to my Savior. I want to follow his example that we see in Scripture. And I want to be baptized this morning.
What we're covering this morning is so important that we thought we'd take some time to teach on it. We baptize a lot here. Uh, we've already seen over 30 people this year following believers' baptism and uh, wanted to take that time this morning to teach and to, to preach on it for understanding-wise because, as Josh said, there's a lot of beliefs out there, uh, different beliefs on what baptism is, what it represents, and, and what it means. Uh, but uh, I'm going to start in just a second. We're going to teach on the Lord's Supper. We're going to finish this service up with that. But let me, we try to communicate well here. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Uh, it's just part of it. So let me correct an announcement that Larry made. We are not having a business meeting this, this coming Wednesday. It's a week from this Wednesday, okay? We had a men's meeting Wednesday night. We take a couple of weeks. We pray about it. Uh, if you want to know what we're going to be meeting about in the, in the business meeting uh, in a week and a half, <laughs> then uh, see me or one of our staff, and we'll be happy to fill you in on that. But just so you know, I know some of you that are in a part of that were probably going, we moved it up. We did not, okay? Uh, I remember when I was a teenager sitting in a service uh, after having accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was 17 years old and had heard that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. Uh, and I had been wondering what's going to happen when I die. And I'd accepted him as my personal savior, savior from my sin. And I remember later sitting in a service just like this and, and the church uh, going to do the Lord's Supper, going to observe the Lord's Supper and, and sitting there really not knowing what was going on. Uh, I, I didn't have a clue what it was. And I, I remember Brother Tolls, he taught on it and he explained it. And, and I grabbed part of it. I know I didn't grab the full meaning or the understanding of it. But I remember this, folks. I remember even though I didn't grasp the full understanding of what the Lord's Supper meant, I understood that it represented what Christ had done for me. And I still remember that to this day. And as we prepare to observe the second ordinance of the church, you see, scripturally, uh, we call them ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. They're the only two orders uh, that Jesus gave to the church that the New Testament gives to the church, uh, the authority to administer. And I, I tell that in class all the time. That's why we don't go to Sonic and order a baptism. Sonic doesn't have scriptural authority to administer a baptism, and we don't go order the Lord's Supper there. You know, press the red button and order the Lord's Supper. It's because scripturally, they don't have the authority to administer the Lord's Supper. Only the local church has that. So these are the two ordinances that we're covering today, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And as we look at the Lord's Supper, understand that Jesus instituted this when he taught his disciples the meaning and the symbolism of it. You see, observing the Lord's Supper or communion, whichever you want to call it, is a very important part of the believer's life. See, in its very nature, the Lord's Supper is symbolic, in the very essence of, of what it is and what it represents, it's symbolic. It's symbolic of what Jesus did for us. We take the Lord's Supper to remind us of Jesus' body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for our sins. As a symbol, it's important that, and it should not be, it should not be thought of less because it's symbolic, it should not have less meaning to us because it's symbolic in its meaning. And let me give you an example like this. Uh, if you have stood up somewhere, somehow in front of an ordained or licensed minister or justice of the peace, and you said some vows and said, I do, you exchange some wedding rings or some symbol of what that commitment you made that day, that covenant you made with your spouse. I have a wedding ring on, and this wedding ring is symbolic of the vows that I made to my wife, Jill, that day. They're symbolic of the, the vows that I made, and they, 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 it, I look at that ring, and it means a lot to me as a symbol 
of the covenant and the vows that I made. And, and hopefully yours means something to you like that too. You, you can look at a wedding ring and not think much about it, or you can really look at it and it means a lot in its symbolism. Uh, the United States flag is symbolic of many things. It's, it's a symbol of our freedom. It's a symbol of the cost of our freedom. It's a symbol of 50 states coming together. You can look at that flag and it, it's symbolism. It can mean so many things. Tossing dirt on a casket is symbolic of closure in our life. See, to stop in life and reflect on the symbolic nature of something is a good thing for us to do. God, God wired us this way. He made us this way. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic remembrance of the cost of our sin. The Lord's Supper, as we, as we partake of it and we observe the Lord's Supper, we take time to, to eat and drink the Lord's Supper. It's symbolic in remembering that, that we're sinners, and yet this God who loves us so much sent his only begotten Son, and the Son came and lived a sinless life, was our spotless lamb sacrificed on that cross for our sins. And as you heard from Josh, right, he was, he was buried and rose again. That's the whole gospel message right there. Uh, just the, the partaking of the Lord's Supper represents all of that as symbolic in everything and all of that. Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. And remembrance of what? Of everything I've done for you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. As a Baptist, right, we do not believe and hear me on this because we come from various backgrounds. We're, we're a pretty eclectic church when it comes to backgrounds. And, and we get that and we understand that. So I understand this and I cover it briefly whenever we do the Lord's Supper, just so we cover it and it's clear. Uh, we don't believe that, that the fruit of the vine or the wafer that we take, the unleavened wafer, becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus. Now hear me on this. We don't believe that. We don't teach that because we don't find that teaching in Scripture. That's why we don't teach that. And I've had people challenge me on that in the years. And I say, well, show me in Scripture where it becomes the actual body and blood of Christ and I will change. And it hasn't happened yet. You can't find it in Scripture. So know that today, and the reason I cover that, we don't believe in that doctrine of, of transubstantiationism because it's symbolic. Jesus Christ, see if you agree with this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a sinless life, offered himself up a sinless sacrifice, hung on that cross for some say of six hours, suffering for our sin, not his own, gave up the ghost, was buried for three days, raised himself from the dead, walked around and said, touch the nail scars, it's me. And then he ascended back to his rightful place in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you agree with that today? Amen. This does not become the body and blood of Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, according to scripture. It's representative of what he did for us. And that's what he taught. Luke chapter 22 Understand that it's, it's the Lord's Supper is a time to reflect. It's a time to, to think, which we don't always like doing. We like staying busy. We like to keep the chaos in our lives sometimes because when we get quiet and we start reflecting on who we are in Christ and, and what God wants to do in our life, sometimes we don't like what he's telling us. Sometimes he does, we don't like what he's revealing in us. See, in Matthew 26, Jesus and his disciples were together preparing the Passover. And, and that 
as they prepared it. They were getting ready to remember what God had done for them. You see, when, when God's people were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years and the plagues come, he sends Moses and plague after plague after plague. Let my people go. Let my people go. Pharaoh says, okay. Then, Oops, nope, sorry. Let my people go. Okay, nope, not going to do it this time. The 10th plague was the death angel. God was sending the death angel to kill the firstborn of every household. But he told his people this. If you will take the blood of an innocent lamb and, and cover your doorpost with it, the death angel will pass over your house. And I will not take the, the life of your firstborn. So God's people, by faith, did what he told them to do, and God passed over them. So every year, God's people would get together and remember the Passover. They would celebrate the Passover and what God had done for them. Move it to the New Testament. That was Old Testament remembrance. And to do that today is still good. I'm not saying you do, we're not commanded to do it. It's okay to observe the Passover, but we're not commanded to anymore. Our remembrance in the New Testament that we're commanded to do is the Lord's Supper. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house, which he enters. And then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For if I say, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Turn to Matthew 26. Jesus here is teaching, instituting the very first Lord's Supper, the very first communion. Nobody had done this up to this point like this. See, when they observed the Passover, they remembered back in Egypt when the death angel had passed over them. Jesus is now instituting for the very first time, I want you, as you drink the fruit of the vine and you eat the unleavened bread, which, which is representative of sinlessness, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Don't, don't do it in remembrance of what happened in Egypt. You observe the Lord's Supper to remember what I am going to do for you. Matthew 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it. And he gave it to the disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks. And he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. 
See, taking of the Lord's Supper is a time to reflect. It's a time to reflect about God's grace. It's a time to reflect about God's love. It's a time to remember the sacrifice that was made for you and for me. It's a time to remember. It's not something to be done flippantly. It's not something to be done casually. It's not something that we should just do and and go on about our day. It's a time to reflect. But it's also a time to worship. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember Christ's sacrifice and we hold fast to the truth that we are a people formed by God's grace. It is a time for us to worship God at the, at the Lord's table. We practice what it means to be a people shaped by faith, shaped and formed by the confession of sin, formed and fashioned by the love of God. We also practice what it means to be God's people who are thankful for what he's done for us. See, it's symbolic because it means a lot. But it's a time of reflection and worship too. One last scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. See, the Lord's Supper is a time to worship, but I want you to understand this morning, we don't get to choose the guests that attend the meal. Right? It's not up to me to determine who gets to attend, who gets to partake. It's not up to me to, to determine who gets to observe the Lord's Supper today. God determines the guest list. Our decisions, where we are, determines whether we get to partake or not. See, it's a time to worship. And the guest list has been chosen by those who have believed and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, I, I say this all the time. If you're here today, and, and there's probably some here today, just being truthful, you have put off your salvation. You have let other things get in the way of you trusting Christ as your Savior, of believing in Him. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. Right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that Christ, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved from our sin, right? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you here today, you've put that off. You've heard it maybe before, maybe it's the first time. You put it off and you put it off and you put it off. Here's the thing. We are here to remember what Christ has done for us. We're here to reflect on where we are in our walk with Christ, in our relationship with him as far as a child of God. We're here to worship the very fact that God loved us so much that he sent his son, that the son loved us so much he came and died and rose again for our sins. If you have never trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior, you're not on the guest list. It's not mine. According to the word of God. Because if, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, what are you remembering? This doesn't save you. Faith in Christ saves you. That's the step you need to take. At the Lord's table, we remember the one who died for us and will one day come back for us and who walks with us daily as his people. That's what we're remembering. The Apostle Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, don't miss this next part. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. For let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if any is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Baptism is done once after salvation. The Lord's Supper is to be done over and over and over again after salvation to remember what Christ did for us. Not part of our salvation. It's done in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. See, the, the Lord's Supper in our New Testament way of remember is our New Testament way of remembering to be thankful for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for our sins. So in just a moment, I'm going to open up the altar. I'm going to invite anyone that needs to come down here and just talk to God. The scripture says we need to examine ourselves. Where are we with God? See, it's, we shouldn't be living a life of sin, knowingly sinning against God, and then come here and flippantly just take this supper. Hmm. It's a time of reflection and a time of worship. So I'm going to open up the altar. If you feel led and you're able to, to come down here and just get on your knees and your face and humbly before God, confess any sin, repent of sin, just communicate with God, talk to him, worship him during this prayer time, then I encourage you to do that. Listen, if you don't come down to the altar, I encourage you right where you are in this moment of silence we're about to take to just let the Holy Spirit examine where you are. Let him examine where you are. Bow your head with me, please. Father, we come to this time of our service just right before following your commandment, your instruction to, to as a, a church family, as believers in Christ, to observe and remember what you've done for us, Jesus. So God, we just come and, and we open up the altar and, and I open up, well, I just ask that everybody here would just take a time, personal time with you right now. Just let you examine us to get our hearts right to make sure there's no unconfessed sin or hidden sins that we're trying to hide from you, that we are pure before you as we come to the Lord's table today. So just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if, if those feel need to come to the altar, I pray they would. But if not, that we would just take this personal time and speak to you in Jesus' name. If you feel led to come, come join these who are at the altar right now. If not, you just talk to God where you are.